All right, let's get uh, let's get going. So as I said um, earlier, you know, if you're if you're in the chat and you want to join in, um, you know, especially if you're uh, you know a teacher, student, a parent, uh, please feel free at any time. Um, so yeah, uh, so, come engage come engage us in the lion's den of ideas. Yes, yeah, yeah. The uh, the lion's den. I like that. I like that. The That's new cool. the new intellectual dark web. Dare I say? Yeah, it sounds a little uh, more uh, more brave than uh, than the marketplace, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I was the marketplace was the word I was looking for. I think I'm going to go with Lions Den from now on, though, uh, especially because it's just like the kind of thing that uh, the IDW guys would would like say. Yeah, well, well, yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so thanks everyone for joining us. This is the Flashpoint Podcast. My name is Owen Higgins. I am your host, as always. Um, Today, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the Uvalde, Texas shooting, uh, horrific massacre in an elementary school that happened on Tuesday. So, uh, you know, I kind of want to preface this by saying that, uh, you know, if, if you're a regular listener to the show, you'll know that I had Aaron Thorpe on um, on Tuesday and we were talking about and this, you know, this, I, I think we wrapped up like, you know, maybe an hour before this broke. You know, we're just talking about like the election and stuff. Um, and uh, it, it, I, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is like if you're listening to that show and it seems a little glib considering the day that it was recorded, just keep in mind that it was recorded. Um, like it, we had no idea what was going on. Of course, everything that we were talking about on that show, all the stuff about the elections, about the primaries in Georgia, uh, Sister Rose and Kular, while all that stuff is still important, it has been uh, kind of just shunted to the side uh, from this horrific act of just unspeakable uh, violence, uh, news of which is still coming out. Uh, you know, there are a lot of aspects of, of this to talk about. Um, there, there, there are a lot of, you know, different, different approaches uh, we can take to it. But, you know, I, I want, so that's why uh, I have Cameron Kasky here. He's a Parkland survivor. Um, advocate, um, activist, uh, and buddy. And, uh, you know, I thought it would be good uh, to have you on, Cameron, to kind of talk about this, at, you know, as somebody, you know, with with your unique perspective on it, especially as, as you know, with respect to the politics and, uh, you know, like kind of like the quote-unquote solutions that are being offered. Um, but I also wanted to talk to you as well um, about, you know, what it's like in a community kind of recovering, uh, from, from a moment like this, which, which is like a really difficult thing. And so I'm going to preface, uh, our conversation here, uh, with a couple of things. So, uh, first of all, uh, two things that I wrote recently that we're uh, going to talk about, um, throughout the program. Um, you know, one of which is the drills and the shooting drills and the stuff that teachers have to do with students, um, that, you know, I, I interviewed a bunch of teachers about that recently. Um, and then also how the gun lobby, uh, you know, kind of uses government contracts, uses government money to kind of fund their own lobbying of the same government to keep gun laws lax. So having said that, um, I, I do want to preface this by saying that um, I am from the Berkshires uh, region of Western Massachusetts. And back in the early 90s, I think in 1992, we had one of the nation's first like big uh, modern day school shootings. Wayne Lowe, a student at the early college, Simons Rock uh, Bard College, uh, Simons Rock College of Bard uh, in Great Barrington, 
uh, ordered a semi-automatic rifle and uh, got it, you know, loaded up. And I believe he killed three. I think it was two students and a teacher. Um, and I can say, uh, you know, just from from growing up there and from that experience, that there is a certain like level of like collective trauma. Even even though even though the school like the school itself was a private college, it was it was you know not part really of the community in the same way that uh, that you know that this elementary school was or that Parkland was. Um, but it was still kind of part of the community, and you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like people from the community were not exclusively sending their kids there. Like kids were coming from all over the place. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, the the, the ramifications of this shooting uh, were certainly felt uh, throughout my childhood and and even into my early adulthood. Um, and that experience, you know, when 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 I've watched things like Columbine, like Parkland, like this, uh, has always has, has never really been very far away uh, from from my mind. And so, uh, having said that, uh, Cameron, I know that obviously Parkland was was a much more horrific shooting uh, than Simon's Rock, um, and and certainly a lot fresher in the minds of, of the survivors. Uh, but I, I guess I am just kind of curious as to you know what what this kind of brings up for you and, and, and how it's making you, I guess, think about, you know, what this community, what these families are, are facing as they kind of, you know, uh, look to rebuilding their lives for the, for, for those that can. Well, uh, wait, wait, I'm so sorry, real quick. I've listened to flashpoint before, but I kind of forget. And I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to keep it light. Am I, am I allowed to cuss on this? You can say whatever you want. Uh, okay, we, great. It's not that, that's, or anything, yeah. I love podcasts. That's the, you get to say curse words. Um, uh, so yeah, it, you know, it's interesting because every one of these shootings, the way the communities have to deal with it, and the and the prices they have to pay are pretty different. Um, Parkland is, is is this is this affluent white community of of abundance and of of um of excess, and the school, you know, it's a Florida public school, so we're still underfunded. And, you know, we were so, our teachers were still pushed to some pretty remarkable, uh, pr- pretty remarkable places to try and keep this school operating, having to spend their own money. You know, you, you know how the public school game treats these people. And, um, and also they had to, of course, put their lives on the line to save the kids at the end of the day. So that was part of their teacher education is learning how to catch a bullet. But, um, but anyway, you know, with, with, with Texas, these these families are many of these families are undocumented. Many of these families have undocumented family members with them. And ICE loves to post up at tragedies and see how many people they can use the honey pot of trying to figure out if your kids are still alive to uh, to deport. And and then you've got Buffalo, and that was an attack that got the news talking about white supremacy again. Uh, in a way that hadn't really been talked about in a long time, unless it was forced upon the news. Suddenly white supremacy was getting discussed again. And the victims in Buffalo were faced with an attack from a white supremacist shooter and, and a shooter who had a, a manifesto that was as white supremacist and anti-Semitic as what you'd expect from one of these types of people. But with Parkland, I mean, a lot of people around the country knew the names of the victims, family members. They knew the names of the victims. You could ask people, who you know to 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 name a, one of the people who who we lost in Parkland, and they'd be able to tell you. And um, and since Parkland, there's never been anything close to that. I don't fucking remember what shooting happened today. Like there's a there's another one 
every single day, America has completely emotionally detached from these things. And that that's why, you know, that's why Parkland was such a big moment for everyone. It was like, you know, in the entertainment media cycle, they got characters in the school shooting story. Now, that's what my friends and I were. We were the we were the we were the we were the characters. And I want to use this language very carefully so as to not play into the crisis actor tropes, because, you know, of course, there were those absurd allegations that we were all paid actors, which I mean, I was in drama, but I wasn't getting paid. And um and but 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 in all reality, Parkland was the fir- was was one of the most compelling and gripping school shooting stories that the media circuit's ever seen. And if you think it's glib that I'm speaking about it this way, yeah, it is glib that I'm speaking about it this way. I mean, glib might not be the word. It is it is bleak, but but it's true. It's like this was a narrative that people were really able to connect with, and um, and and that's just not been something that the media has been able to really uh, design something around ever since. So that that's that's kind of my long answer to to your question about like what's it like to be in a community that's healing from this kind of thing. People in Parkland are are generally speaking pretty well off. You know, I mean, I uh, of my friends, I I was on the kind of lower side in terms of uh, in terms of how much money we had, my family had, and like I lived very comfortably growing up. I was just fine. I I, I faced no serious struggle in my life outside of outside of mental health issues. So like. You know, Parkland is playing golf right now. Park, and mind you, the students who have to go to school at a national ground zero—it's a whole other psychological fuck for them. I mean, I still, I you know, be, I still have friends who are at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas just because my friends from Douglas have younger siblings that are at Douglas, and it's still fucked up for these kids. They have to walk by the bu- a building that got massacred from the bottom floor to the top by by somebody every single day, and they're expected to just be like, "Oh, I'm going to go to calculus." So. That's Parkland, yeah, so, but mean, then Buffalo. I can't imagine the experience because this is a, because this is a white supremacist attack on people of color. That's a, and on top of that, that's a narrative that the media is much less excited to talk about than something like Parkland. So it really is different everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's some really interesting points there. I, you know, I I wonder if if maybe part of the reason that um, that I, like I like I see what you're saying about characters, especially you know in 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 Parkland where where the media was able to, I mean, part of it was that there were like compelling speakers. Like uh, there was, there was, there, there seemed to be a, a a decision to, to really like push back on, on what had happened and, you know, to, to kind of do that together. Um, and in doing that, uh, you know, you kind of were given the opportunity to, to express yourself to, to a media that was kind of looking for something like that. I think that maybe one of, one of the distinctions here between, uh, between that way of approaching it and, you know, what at Buffalo and, and what we're, what we're seeing in Uvalde is that um, there's just, like you're saying, I mean, I think it probably does have something to do with class, right? It has something to do with like the, just, just the, the ability to, I mean, black and brown kids around, get right? shot. America yeah. doesn't care. White kids get shot, and we're gonna. Uh, and America, and America, at, uh, at least pretends to care. Uh, I was about to say America freaks out when white kids get shot, but it's more like America, you know, uh, has an emotional flair that that ends up calming down and and going away. Um, but the other thing to what you were saying about the fact that there's the, there are these compelling speakers in Parkland. Another thing to keep in mind is like. This was 2018. 
This was when Hamilton on Twitter was liberal politics. Like, if you're a liberal on Twitter, you're tweeting about Hamilton at least once a day, which I'm not judging those people. I'm a very big Hamilton fan. I know it's whatever. Um, but but it was it was a time in the resistance, in the Donald Trump era, in an era where having people who look like they could be heavy hitters against Donald Trump, that was really interesting to people. And Sandy Hook, those were babies. So no, none of these babies were going to come out of school and and, and, ta- and and start pointing the finger at Rubio, Rick Scott and all those other freaks because they, they were they were so, so very young. Um, and and Vegas, the uh, shooting that we were talking about in a class I had at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas with a young woman who ended up being killed. Like we were all engaging politically about a mass shooting and our conservative uh, a push teacher, APUS history. uh was 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 you know doing that kind of conservative like well there's a lot of nuance here type of argument that the teachers use to make students uncomfortable expressing their opinions and um and and the thing about vegas was that was decentralized i mean this was it, it, it was so many different people at this concert from so many different communities it was hard to build that kind of unified force and also the children will save the day as I see one of the uh, commenters, Birdgrave Five says that the, the, the children say of the day is like a is a is a very popular liberal narrative that's like part of the whole but vote cycle, right? It's like, hey, our generation really screwed it up, and look how look how nice we are for for letting the kids show the way, but also um, we're we're gonna we're gonna use that to kind of disguise the fact that we're not gonna do anything because we're gonna say these kids are the ones who are gonna do it when they're in office one day. And then everybody who's got the yellow and blue Ukraine profile picture is like, fuck yeah, this is the, yeah, these kids are fucking awesome. They're the next JFK. Right, but they've also like, I mean, kind of jumping off of that, they've they, they've certainly um, not listened to you guys on certain topics to put it, you know, to put it mildly. I mean, the minute that, uh, that that you guys started talking about other things um there was either ignored or or the kind of you know predictable right wing backlash that i mean when that, i was hawking yeah. when i was when i was when i was uh when i was stumping for bernie and going to nevada for bernie people did not like that they did not like that one bit yeah you you, you were out of you were out of what they had decided your lane was they decided what your lane was, and you were out of it. So, so that was that exactly, was exactly. It's honestly funny, but one of the one of the Gen Zest fucking things that ever happened happened to me yesterday. And I hate to give that main character narrative, but I will say this is certainly a radically Gen Z moment. Uh, I I had just I had just sat down with um, Hassan Piker for an hour to talk about this stuff and talk about school to prison pipeline type things. And uh, I got home and I was getting changed to do Jake Tapper. Um, Allow me to reiterate. I was getting changed to appear on Jake Tapper's show, and um, I got a call from my student loan debt. I, I got a call from my student loan debt collector who was telling me, like, "How do you? How are you going to pay this?" And I was just like, "Holy shit! I'm 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 like changing to go talk to two different people because I think that there's there's a I think that there is a somewhat positive impact about you know talking to." Uh, Hassan or or, or 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 you the same within the same twenty four hours as talking to people like Anderson and Jake because I I want to kind of be able to be 100%. expressing those types of and it's and it's it's really difficult but I think that the whole victim thing and the whole victim card and the whole youth card kind of lets me get away with being more progressive than those channels really like because if somebody older and somebody who didn't have the kind of survivor thing and I I really like 
don't take very much pleasure in going. I, I have a panic attack almost every single time I do one of those things. Like while I'm doing, I was on Anderson Cooper the other night. The tips of my fingers were numb, and I was like very, very panicking. But it's like at the end of the day, I think that the being the Parkland victim thing, the kid thing. I mean, I'm 21 right now. I'm a, uh, by by any means an adult, but I mean, except for maturity, of course. But um, the, the whole kid thing, that's why I shave when I go on. It's like, right. that's, that's why I, that's kind of my Trojan horse for saying things that otherwise, like, like for example, the other night and I, I went on Cooper after, right after Biden had delivered his address where he was like, isn't this sad everyone? Don't you think this is sad? Can't you? Oop, just missed you. Just lost you there for a second. Still losing you. All right. Well, while we wait for... You see, that's how you know Biden is oh, a leader. Wait, with... no. There he is. He's back. Hold on. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Cam. We lost you there for about like uh, 30 seconds. Just unmute yourself. Go ahead. Can you hear me? You're back. All right. Yeah, go okay. ahead. Sorry. We, we, uh, we, we, we lost you there for, for about like 30 seconds. Sorry. So you, can you hear me now? Yep. You're good. So I was just saying, and, and we were, we, I did Anderson the other night after he had, um, after, but right after Biden's address where he was like, Hey guys, this was, this was sad. Um, I, I, I sure know. And the first thing that the political analysts, the, my, might I add political analysts were saying was like, you see, this is how you know Biden's a leader with compassion because he's endured this personal loss. And look, I happen to agree with that and think that the personal loss that President Biden has endured does in fact inform a certain degree of, of compassion, at least beyond what we might have otherwise seen. But it's like the first thing you're saying after his address in response to a mass shooting is about like, oh, you know, that's how you know, man. That's how you know he, he's been, this guy's really been through it. It's like, this guy's the guy who's sitting on the throne of the American empire. And you're like, oh, he's gonna, he really cares. I mean, look at him. Look, look how sad he looks. Right. I mean, you know, I, I think, let's actually talk a little bit about, about the politics around this. Because I think that the, the reaction to this stuff, uh, like, like what you're saying, with the you know with with the idea that uh, just because he uh, has also suffered loss that therefore um, he's he's automatically a compassionate uh, leader as opposed to like you know anything he's actually doing right um, and I I think that like that like that expression to me kind of sounds like the expression of people who are just kind of grasping at anything except for actual action. Because they know that actual action is probably not going to come. And I think that we're kind of seeing the same thing uh, in, in Congress right now where, you know, there's a lot of criticism about uh, the inability to get any, well, anything done really. But, you know, this specifically, um, anything done on, on uh, gun laws, uh, you know, w within the context, even, even, of, even of these, uh, the Buffalo and Uvalde shootings back to back. Uh, these just absolute massacres. Um, and the, the, the strategy seems to be everyone's going to go on a 10 day vacation in a couple hours here in the Senate. And then when they come back, they're going to try and reach across the aisle and see if they can get something done. And then even if, even if the other side doesn't agree, 
then, you know, in like another three weeks or so, uh, they're going to hold a vote and get everyone on record. Um, that political yeah, strategy it, does not really seem to me like it's going to work. And I see your call, Dan, and we'll get to you in a couple minutes here. But I just want to, I, I, I'm just curious what, what you think about this, Cam, because I know that you have just been watching this shit from a very specific point of view uh, where, like, I don't even, like, like, do you even have, like, any emotion or anger about this anymore? Or is it just, like, just, like, this kind of rage apathy? You know, it's interesting. When when we, so the summer after the shooting in Parkland, my friends and I, who, who were doing March for Our Lives, went on a bus and we were just registering voters all over the country. Uh, and we met all these different survivors from pretty much, like, the majority of big story mass shootings. And we talked to them about a variety of things, be it they're organizing politically or just, like, personal stuff. And one of the things they said to us is, you're just never going to know when it's going to hit you. And we were like, I don't know, it just that sounded like such a that sounded like something I had heard so many times about trauma that it didn't really sink in with me because I was like, OK, yeah, 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 whatever. You know, when you're a 17 year old boy, uh, you know, bipolar, unmedicated, closeted, there's a lot of stuff going through your head. You're not ready to hear what people tell you about about trauma. <laughs> But, um, you know, it's like, you know, sometimes there's a shooting. It, the, 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 there's something very American here. It's like literally the number of people who die is the, the, the gauge by which we decide that this is a tragedy. Like mass shooting. Oh, four people died. Oh, that's too bad. You know? But then when it's 20 people, it's like this is the worst thing in the world. It's like one person dying is the worst thing in the world. But when it's like fucking like what's the gauge? It's literally like there's a number. It's like if it's more than 10 or 12, that's when we address it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. Literally, it's like it's literally a digits thing. If nine people get shot, people will be like, "Well, fuck." Right. Yeah. One, one or two more, then it's then it's something where now we have to like do something. What that yeah. is? You, you yeah. Know. You're not even gonna get your you, best case scenario. Nine people die. You get a thoughts and prayers tweet from your governor. Best case scenario. Like. Yeah, and even then, it like depends on where it was and how it happened. Yeah. And then either way, it's going to be there's going to be some disinformation cla claiming that the kid is that the, that the shooter is dealing with gender dysphoria. There's going to be some disinformation claiming that the shooter was Antifa or some shit like that. And there it's just it's 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 such a fucked up mess. It is such a mess. I'll tell you how much of a mess is. We're doing a March for Our Lives reboot. I don't know if you, you saw the announcement on March for Our Lives Instagram account, uh, but they're doing March for Our Lives 2, Electric Boogaloo. They're, they're doing Mar the March 5 Our Lives is what I like to call it. And, um, and we're sitting here literally talking about the strategy of it all. And we're, we're, it's like, think, think about this. Like, think about this within the context of America. <laughs> right now, dealing with mass shootings is so difficult. It's so difficult to get people to care or to get people to get involved that we have to roll out the old IP like a movie studio that doesn't have any good new ideas. So they just bring out the old logo and like roll out the old cast and some new cast members. Like that's what's happening with gun control right now is we're like, Hey, let's get the old band back together. Um, you know, maybe without some of the cool kids, let's do, let's do a queen tour because yeah, it's like, it's like you, you guys paid attention to us, right? Like you guys have paid attention to us once, so like maybe you'll do it again because nothing else seems to be getting through. Right? Literally, it's like the nostalgia bait of getting the band back together. That you know, America hasn't seen us all next to each other in four years. Everybody went to college and then never saw each other again because of COVID. So like, hey, let's get the let's get let's get the band reunited. Um, 
like, like, and look, I mean, the conversation we're having is literally Biden is so very performative that if we do something like that and pluck his emotional heartstrings hard enough, maybe he'll do something just because it seems like a victory ahead of the midterms. That's the conversation we're having is like, if we put, if we do this, if we, if we do this demonstration and we get this and we make it as, as, as feel like as much of an event as possible, then we can hopefully get Biden to use it to cash in on some cheap political points on legislation that is not like, has like a 95 plus percent approval rating, like, like universal background checks. So I have to sit here for a band reunion while I have, a, I, I have stuff that I do. I'm, I, I, I have, I, I do, I, I have a job, I do stuff. Um, and we have to, right. I have to be late for stuff for all, for, for work. I have to like do all this other stuff ju- just so we can hopefully like get team Biden to think that this is politically worth it. It is so fucking dark. Yeah, that's pretty bleak. I mean, just like the the political calculation that 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 has to be put into it is it doesn't really I mean, like in a functioning democratic society of any kind, like you know, uh legislation like this that has such high approval uh would would just go through. And again, like nobody's talking about like banning guns even in this in this stuff. It's just like background checks, waiting periods, very, very like mild uh, corrective uh, fixes, and even that can't get through. It just, well, it also, just no, nobody's n- nobody in the Democratic Party is doing the correct thing and communicating that to end gun violence in a substantial way. You have to disarm police officers. You have to have police officers who could be responding in uh, in 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 dangerous and elevated situations where individuals are going to know that there's not an armed officer coming in. I mean, mo- I mean, most the majority of, of gun deaths we see in the country are coming from suicides and, you know, suicidal individuals very often have to deal with uh, police officers in ways that are even more dangerous for them. So, you know, and also, I, I mean, I don't even feel like getting into this because I feel like everybody knows at this point, the cops do not know how to respond to a school shooting. They literally run away scared and make the kids die. They do it every time. We don't even need to get into it. So so liberals and de- Democrats are preaching the gun laws that, that, are, that are easy and, you know, the gun laws that are popular. And But if we're going to be able to, like, like gun control without without, you know, demilitarizing the police can very easily become racism because, you know, you get the police department, you get people like Biden who will be like, here's, uh, here's, here's $10 billion for the police to go make anti-gun task forces. And those anti-gun task forces are just harassing black neighborhoods and doing nothing to help anybody, only making things more unsafe, walking into these situations, carrying the very guns that we're trying to stop people from getting killed by. And, and then, and then you got, you get the school to prison pipeline, you get black students getting harassed when there's a, there's an increased police presence, which as we've seen, police presence does not do shit to stop school shootings. So what do you do if you, if you're trying to advocate for gun control with a liberal president like Joe Biden, where you, where the laws you can get could also very easily become a slippery slope for people to, for, for, for black and brown kids to pay the price while everybody else is thinking, yeah, great. We got, we got more security at schools and we got, uh, we got gun task forces led by the police. 
Yeah, any any like more security at schools, uh, and and you know you touched on this, and I'm just I'm you know I'm just repeating it. Uh, you know, any of that stuff is just going to end up uh, resulting in more harassment of uh, you know black and brown kids or poor and or poor kids. I mean, like that's like that's going to be what it's going to be. It's not going to be um, you know they're there for people's safety. Uh, this has been shown over and over again uh, to be the way that this stuff goes down. So, yeah, I mean, I like, I don't know. I, I, I you know, I don't know what the solution is here because, um, I, I guess, I guess what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not that I don't know what the solution is. I don't know what kind of solution is possible to, to get because every, like all of these horrible things that we're saying are going to happen. Like that's the best case scenario. Exactly. Of kind of like law that they're going to pass. Um, let's take a couple calls here. Uh, Cam, how long do you have? I got I got 30 minutes from here. Okay, great, great, great. Okay, so we'll, uh, we'll take Dan, uh, and then we'll take Michael after that, and then anybody else can get in the queue. Um, so j- just try and keep it to around, like, you know, a minute, two minutes, guys. Um, and Dan, you're up. Dan was up. Dan disappeared. Let's go with. Michael. Good riddance, Dan. All right, you hear me? Good. All right. Um, so a couple of things. First, that I think should be talked about is the disturbing implications of the fact that the conservative quote-unquote solution that they're pushing is to have all schools have just one door, which in combination with the fact that the police strategy was literally to just barricade off one room of the school, like seems like the implication there is they want to have the cops just barricade off the school and make it much, much harder for anyone to actually escape the premises, which is pretty fucked up. Um, And uh, the other thing is obviously there's the worry about like pride month is coming up. There's going to be pride parades and there's a very distinct possibility that there will be uh, some mass shootings at one of those parades. Um, yeah, so I think that um, uh, I'll, I'll I'll go first here. I, you know, I think that uh, primarily I would say uh, that I just reject even uh, discussing this. Uh, we need to have one door bullshit uh, because all that is is they're just trying to confuse the issue and uh, get us so people are talking about that. That's uh, bullshit. Non. Uh, it's not even a possibility. Like that's that's not going to happen. It's you know it's against fire code. Uh, any time spent even debating that, uh, I really feel is is a waste of time. Um, I, I'm not kidding. I, I swear, it sounds like something that like somebody's six year old cousin would say. Yeah, and, and and Michael, I'm not you know I'm not saying that like as as a slight against you. I'm just saying that to me, I don't I don't see the point of of speaking about it. Um, and you know, I'd like I, Cam, I'll I'll let you answer uh, the question about pride parades because I'm not like I I don't I don't really know like like I feel I. I feel kind of a low level uh, anxiety whenever I'm in a public place at this point uh, that just yeah. doesn't really go away. So, well, you know, um, pride. Is, I feel like corporate pride has kind of allowed uh, created this division between. Uh, excuse me, not division. It separated people from the understanding that pride parades and being radically queer in public has always been extraordinarily dangerous. You know, we've got Wells Fargo and and and, you know, uh, 
Raytheon doing rainbow logos. And I think that because pride got turned into like, because pride got turned into this corporate product that's so polished, people forget that like, again, during the AIDS crisis, throughout the history of pride, you know, being queer in public, being radical, being yourself and, and, and doing that kind of stuff has always invited violence and has, has often create, uh, not created, excuse me, has often, uh, been subject to it. So, you know, it's dangerous and it's scary and people getting together in public. I, I, when we were doing the March for our lives, my stupid ass shot, I have no idea why I thought that because anybody with a 10th of a brain in the gun camp would, would realize that doing that would totally like be so much worse for their cause. But regardless, like, you know, being in public is scary as hell. Being in public and advocating for something that invites violence is scary as hell. And I'll be at the march. You know, I'll be there, and and we'll see what and we'll and and what we'll, we'll see what happens. But but it's you know, the, the, the pride is one thing, and there's going to be a hundred things right now where people have to be afraid for their lives. Black churches right now. If it, I cannot imagine how somebody in a black church must feel, considering. The, the, what happened in Buffalo, you know, so many different people are being targeted. So many people are being publicly targeted. And then of course the Republican party is stoking so much, if that's the word, uh, so much of this hate, uh, and, and allowing it, especially like you said, against queer people with what's happening. I mean, like the Republicans realized that they could successfully, you know, uh, successfully scapegoat queer people as they're all groomers and it worked. It fucking worked. So it's scary, it's dangerous, and the people. And if you and if you're afraid for your life, don't go. Yeah, yeah. I think you know. I mean, this kind of uh, calls back to what you were saying about the, uh, you know, the, the, the horrific um, trans. Uh, the shooter was trans lie, which you know, like, is still kind of like percolating around uh, in the right wing, um, and you know, that's that's obviously uh, being you know being being said for a very uh, specific reason. Um, okay, so let's go to Dan. Dan is back. We got Dan back. Thanks, Mike. Dan, hello. Hey, gentlemen. Thank you. Sorry about that the first time. Um, no worries. Go ahead. All right. Yeah, I'll keep this brief. Um, first of all, I just want to say, uh, Owen, thank you so much for your reporting. You, more than anyone, you go from crisis to crisis and you are able to, you know, put such a human perspective on stories and, and just so appreciative of that. Um, and Cam, what an honor to speak to you. Um, I think your voice is so important because in the media, at least, uh, what, what goes, you know, forgotten often after a couple of weeks, of course, is the, is the survivors. And to think of these little nine-year-olds, you know, who emerged from this horrific scene covered in blood and watching their, their, their best friends get killed, I, they have to carry this the rest of their lives. And so to have you you know, with such a public platform, Cam, is, is, is really important. And, uh, you know, thank you. Um, I wanted to just, you know, riff off of what you were talking about, how, you know, like, uh, you know, the more police presence and, and how it just doesn't work. I mean, I live in, in a working class uh, section of Brooklyn and, and the influx of police officers on the subway. And you, all you see them doing is, is ticketing young people hop in the turnstiles. And meanwhile, there's shootings, you know, there was just another shooting on Sunday, a random guy got shot in the chest. <laughs> um, and one other question about, you know, going out in public, um, and the fear that we feel, um, 
Cam, I'm wondering if in, in your experience since Parkland, you know, what, what, uh, how much is talked about, uh, or how much are people talking about, you know, self-defense courses? And I say this as a somebody, you know, totally in fear, but also just like, no, I don't know where to turn if, if the state isn't going to protect me. No. Hey, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when we were, when we were doing our voter registration tour, we had this secu- security team that was teaching us like how to get out of a room and there would be people like following us around and looking at us. So I was like, oh, wow, maybe people should be learning this type of stuff as traumatic as learning this type of stuff is. But, you know, looking at exits, looking at all these other things. And look, I mean, I'm not going to take a self-defense course, but that's because I'm a lazy Jewish comedy writer who has like two jobs. So, uh, so, but I mean, I recommend it if you'd like to do it. I, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, the defend yourself argument is very often like libertarian propaganda, but also you know, do what you can to make sure that you feel like you're good walking out of the house. And, you know, a lot of people I know in Parkland have trouble going places. I have panic attacks when I'm in big rooms that are crowded. Like I, I have a very, very, very good friend who's a very funny comedian a guy named Alex Edelman had a, had a show running in New York. I love this guy. I'm comfortable with him. I know his show. I I've like know everything he says in it. And I went two different times with one of my best friends and one of my other best friends. And both times I like had to walk out just because the nature of that room made me heave. And I was breathing like, <laughs> while I was, while I was like surrounded by people. People thought I was like, I sounded like Jason in, in, in Friday the 13th. And, and that's just life. You know, I go to the movies. I normally have to get high as hell to do it. So I don't have to freak out. I had to consume so much THC to go see Morbius. But, um, that's life. That's American life. You can't go anywhere. <laughs> you know, you, if you want to, if you want to go somewhere where you're safe from gunfire, swim two miles out into the ocean. And then I don't even know if you're safe from gunfire because there's a coast guard. So, you, you know, it, it's, you, you got to learn how to li- live your life and, and, and move forward. Cause, cause at the end of the day, my friends and I in Parkland say this, whenever we felt guilty for feeling joy or felt guilty for, having a good night or having a good day when, when, when we were so close to all this death, it's like when you, when you live in dread and when you live in anguish and when you live in fear, the shooter wins. I mean, the shooter goes in to make you, if the, if the shooter finds out that everybody, that they ruined everybody's life and made everybody, you know, incapable of finding joy, that means that they did their job. So we have to, we have to move forward. We have to pursue joy because that's us winning and that's us you know, and us being able to make our own futures and move forward and, and honor what's happened, but not let it defeat us. That's, that's how you make the shooter lose because then they didn't, then, then they didn't get to, to hurt as many people as they wanted to. Yeah. I, you know, I would say, uh, just to add on to that, I mean, that's really, that's really well said. I feel like I don't even really have much to add to that. Uh, so all I would say is that, um, you know, I, I used to work uh, for this nonprofit in in Washington State, where uh, you know we, we did work around self defense and we did work around kind of you know situational uh, awareness. And basically, like if you're feeling paranoid, if you're feeling uh, panicky, um, you know it, it's it's kind of a good thing to like you know even 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 though this might not even really be helpful if something happened, because like let's let's be honest, like this stuff can be really chaotic. And, and it's hard to know, like, what will happen if anything does happen. 
But, uh, you know, to be able to kind of just, like, know where all the doors are, where the exits are, just that little stuff can be really helpful because then, like, you can feel a little bit kind of, like, safe and secure uh, in, you know, in your own, uh, in your own self. And, and, and if that can kind of help you to relax a little bit and to just feel a little bit more secure, I think, I think that's that can, that ever, be quite helpful. Have you ever played the game uh, Super Hot? I have not. That's if anybody's played Super Hot. That's what mass shooting, like, like exit. I guess self defense training is like. It's like you're playing Super Hot. If you if you know, you know. Right. On. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks, Dan. We're gonna go to uh, Nathan, I think. And uh, so, just go ahead and unmute yourself. That'll be down on the bottom right. Nathan, you're until, up. Until then, a word from our sponsor. Can you hear me? Yep, yep, I can hear you. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, first of all, uh, I, I want to say congratulations, Owen, for your work, especially uh, for the the important voice about uh, trans rights. I think the, it's, it's very important. Uh, I'm, I'm from Brazil, and I'm here in Brazil. And my question for Ken, to Ken is uh, about... Uh, the reality that I see here in Brazil and the reality that we have in the United States. So, and I, I have to give you uh, a little a bit context. I, I, I'll try to be, to be uh, fast, but to be, you know, to be concise, but I have to give you a little context. And uh, here in Brazil, uh, it, it is kind of a unanimously uh, position uh, on the left, and especially black organizations and black activists on the left, that uh, we cannot allow to uh, uh, guns being, you know, uh, per being permitted, uh, you know, throughout the country, Bolsonaro tried to he tried to uh, liberate some some uh, guns, you know, uh, he he gave permissions to people of shooting clubs and uh, hunters to. Um, carry guns uh, throughout the streets, and it has been a pandemonium, but we, we are fighting against, we are fighting against that specifically. Uh, and when I, when I heard Ken talk about, you know, the, the kind of racist policies that we may be enforcing, you know, defending uh, gun control, uh, for me, I have to say, uh, from, from Brazil, uh, it's a very uh, strange position, because here in Brazil, we have a very selective, selective uh, system. You know, uh, especially carceral, especially carceral system. We have uh, some some people who were shot by a police uh, a police officer, and when they they went to explain how they shot him, uh, he was he has on his hand I think a drilling machine, and they uh, mistook that for a gun. Uh, another one was shot because police officers mistook his umbrella with a gun. So my question uh, is. Uh, to be very objective, how can you uh, defend for one side, you know, uh, gun control may have these racist implications, and I agree with that, but at the same time, you, you ha I think you have to consider here in Brazil, and especially in the United States, the, the biggest carceral population on the world, uh, I, I think you have to consider the selectivity of the system, and how can you, uh, how can you, make sense of that you know this this uh apparently paradox that's my question cool okay thank you um uh cam if you want to unmute there and um 
don't know if you want to take that. Shit, yeah, shit, dude. I gotta say that is by far the most interesting perspective on this issue I've heard, like in <laughs> in the past like couple years of discussing that. So, uh, thank thank you for the question. Unbelievably well put, and uh, I'm very appreciative of your perspective. First of all, I gotta say, living in Brazil, you know, America is a traumatizing and 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 abusive fascist state, but I feel like. You know, people in Brazil don't get enough uh, sympathy for also living in a abusive, awful fascist state. So I, I can't imagine what it must be like with that guy. I mean, he's a fucking psycho. I'm really sorry that all those those covids didn't end up working out. But anyway, um, I agree with you. maybe I the mean, next one. Look, will. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, he, he 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 if 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 I got if I got dates like he got covid, I'd be a happy guy. I'll tell you that. Um, but the truth is, you know, you're right. I mean. I think that ultimately we do have to enact these policies. The, the problem is when, is the police involvement. And that's where, that's where the utopia problem comes in. And that's where it be, it, that's where we really have to kind of push this to, that's where we have to really think outside of a box here is if we had a police force that was nonviolent, then handling gun control would be, uh, much more productive, easy, and and positive thing. But the fact of the matter is, we have a police force that we we can't be unleashing on people because they're not trained properly. They're not they're not they they, they exist to oppress. So, you know, the, the, when we look at gun control policies and the way that we need to be enacting them, every time it has to be accompanied by the logic of so. Do we want to send the cops? So that so when people talk about how you know we um how how I I, I hear a lot of folks say that we I, I know a lot of pro gun leftists who say that we need to have the working class armed and we need to be to make sure that the working class is able to be armed against the oppressive and everything and and everything I've read about that makes sense to a certain degree but. The fact of the matter is, these, these, these. If, if we're defunding the police, if we're disarming the police, and a, or if we're, or if we're keeping the police armed and a mass shooter comes in, there's always the question of, so are we sending the cops? And so what are the cops going to be doing to people? So I, I'm kind of talking in circles right now because the fact of the matter is, I, I am not nuanced and skilled enough to uh, approach this issue the way that I know it needs to be approached. But I agree with you. I think that your perspective is correct. And I think that in America and Brazil, we need to be dealing with the perpetual violence that the state allows to, to unfold. Yeah. I mean, I would also say that, you know, uh, police raid in Rio de Janeiro, uh, just, um, you know, the, the, the same day, uh, as, as the massacre in Uvalde, uh, 22 dead. You know, so so this is obviously a a problem uh, that that goes with you know goes to both both countries here, um, especially with you know with with respect to having the police armed um, and and police violence. Um, and it, I I think you're right, Cam, and and appreciate the call, uh, Nathan, because I think that these these are really difficult questions uh to answer and it's really hard to like figure out like what what the right approach is um especially especially in a in 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 a country as complicated 
as as this one. I don't want to speak too much to Brazil uh, because, you know, my knowledge of the politics there uh, is 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 not you know encyclopedic. So, uh, but but certainly here, uh, society here and the politics here are are complicated, and so um, the idea that that people. Uh, being armed or disarmed come come with a lot of unintended consequences uh, is is certainly true across the board. So uh, let's take Lauren, and I know that you're you're in line there, Nathan. But I think that um, we're just because of time. I think I think we'll we'll talk to Lauren, and then I think that we will uh, we'll wrap it up there. So uh, Lauren, uh, go ahead. Hey, Owen. How do I sound? You sound great. All right, lovely. So, uh, hi, I'm Lauren. I am a public school teacher in my mid-30s. I teach in a middle school, uh, and I haven't been able to talk to my students about any of this or check in with any of them because I caught COVID at school (laughs) and I'm at home. Um, And now we're out for Memorial Day break. So, you know, come Tuesday, I don't even know if this is going to be on their minds at all or, or what you know, because I haven't been able to talk to my kids. But I did want to talk about the whole lockdown drill situation as I've seen it in my years in school. You know, when uh, when I was in middle school, I was in eighth grade when Columbine happened, and it was like this unheard of anomaly, you know. So in my lifetime as a student, I never experienced a lockdown drill. It wasn't until I was in my, um, you know, college program to become a teacher that I really experienced what that was like with our kids now. And they've been doing it their whole lives, you know, since kindergarten. So it really, you know, as, as traumatizing as it is, they also seem to be very nonchalant about it because they've been doing it forever. Um, and, you know, recently with social distancing requirements and everything. Um, when we do, you know, at school now, our, our lockdown drills, we basically, you know, close the door, drop the curtain down over that little window. And then we talk about, you know, this is where you would go in an emergency or this is what we do. And, you know, I'm, I'm taking my kids out the, the emergency window. We're not sticking around that building, but that's besides the point. Um, but, you know, it's, it's messed up. Like we are purposefully messing with these kids. And, you know, in, in one experience that really sticks out when I was working on my special ed degree and I was doing student teaching, um, I was in a faculty meeting and the assistant principal, when he's talking about lockdown drills, he says, well, we're not going to use the word drill anymore because the kids don't take the drill seriously. And we want them to think it's real. And, you know, sure enough, a week later, I'm in a self-contained special ed room. They say it's a lockdown, no mention of the word drill. And I'm looking around at these, you know, 11, 12-year-old babies. I will always remember the fear in their eyes. And me and my teacher look at each other like, guys, it's a drill. We're fine. But I don't know, like, yeah. I don't really know. Wait, do you, teach, do you teach special needs students? I do teach special needs students, yes. Oh, my, my younger brother is autistic. And we so I've spent ma- many, many an hour of my life with special ed teachers. First of all, wait, I'm sorry to interrupt, but Lauren, I love you. I wish we could... I wish we could hang out and talk about your students and talk shit about your students together. I cannot fucking believe you're talking about this while you have COVID. I hope you feel so much better. I hope everything's all right. I am so sorry that you have to be a teacher in this country. That sounds horrible. 
I would never educate anybody. God help them. And I, you're a superstar. Damn it, Owen. You're your audience is so much better than like the audiences. Like the, the, these have been killer speakers, and this has been random. God damn, uh, Lauren, that's 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 horrifying. <laughs> um, we we had a similar thing when I was in eighth grade at the school. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I just want to make sure I we could talk about this. Um, uh, the the the, high, the the middle school that was attached to Stoneman Douglas, we had a mass shooter drill that we knew was a drill, but I guess that's where I guess that was the first time I learned what a shooter thing is because prior to that I had only done tornado type drills and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know why eighth grade is my first memory of one, but I mean, we were all, you know, the kids were all just sitting there goofing off, laughing around like to, I know that I am absolutely not for the manipulation of children into thinking that this is a real shooting. Like that is abs, that is emotional terrorism. Uh, and that is violent fucking traumatic bullshit. But yeah, you know, I, I think there should be a measure m- made to highlight the seriousness of this to these kids. But also, there's only a certain degree to which these measures work. That's the thing that the, the mass shooting drills. If somebody has an, an AR-15, there's only so much of this that's going to work. And that was what I. That's what my friends and I were always thinking during shooting drills. We were saying this to each other. I mean, I remember this because it was a couple of years ago. We were saying like. Oh yeah, this desk is going to protect me. Um I'm so glad I've got this desk here. I'm this this is the bulletproof desk that they that they give to Florida public schools. It's like you know, the sh- the, the the drills are important to to let students know what they're going to be responding to, but ultimately at the end of the day, an AR15 is an awfully is an awful lot more powerful than any measures you're going to enact. So I can't believe, Lauren, that that's something that your school allowed to happen. That's traumatizing for you, I imagine. You don't even have the time to process that because you're dealing with the kids that you're having to accident, like that you're forced by the school system to be participating in the trauma of. I mean, it is it is the worst thing in the entire world. The shit that teachers have to endure. I mean, teaching already sucks. So I can't imagine all this other stuff. I, I, I wish I had something better to say to you, but other than that sounds awful. Um, but that sounds awful. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, I'll, I'll say that, you know, go, go ahead, Lauren. No, I just, I always, I always made a point because I was a student teacher in that district. I was a sub in that district. I did not like that assistant principal. He was a douchebag. So I, anytime that we had a lockdown drill and they didn't use the word drill, I was like, this is a drill. You would know if it was real and we would be going out that window right now. Um, and Cam, I love you too. Let's go get stoned and be Jewish together somewhere. Um, <laughs> but I, I totally forgot. You hear that conspiracy theorist? You hear that conspiracy theorist? Yeah, that's right. It's uh, the the Jewish THC cabal coming for you. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's I I don't know what the future of lockdown drills will look like right now because we're still not crowding kids into corners even though we're also not wearing masks in school anymore even in my blue ass state um but it's it's tough you know we got a lot on our plate and you know we shit we ran out of pencils a couple months ago so you know that's good because homework is lame lauren Listen, homework is dumb. I'm a co-teacher. At the end of the day, wait. I don't call the shots on homework, but if yeah, I was being me, real nice to you, it. Lauren. I'd like to be clear. At the end of the day, teachers are fucking lame. So you know, I'm I'm I sorry know. for what you have to endure. I, I I think you're a public servant, but you know, homework is boring. Teachers are lame, and 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 students are cool. Definitely. 
and, the and I'm going to sit here and hang my head in shame now. Thank you. I Sam. hate the NRA, but there's nothing I hate more than the principal. <laughs> well, same, same. All right. Well, thanks, Lauren. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think that I, I just want, uh, I do just want to add to that just to say that like, um, the lockdown drills do not really seem. I think that Lauren is dead on about this, and I think you are too, Cam. Uh, you know these these lockdown drills really seem like they are not doing it. They are not doing it. So, um, you know, who knows? Again, who knows what the future holds? It's about to be summer vacation. Uh, you know, are we still talking about this in September? I don't know, um, but it doesn't really seem worth it to like constantly traumatize kids until they get just numb to it. And then something actually does happen, which is kind of the way that, 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 that it feels like to me. Uh, anyway, so, um, Cam, uh, any, any parting thoughts from you? Um, do do, do you watch better call Saul? Of course. Yeah. I mean, can you believe what happened? Pretty wild, pretty wild. Don't want to spoil it. Uh, yeah, no, I would no, no, no. We're not doing we're not doing that to this audience. But I mean, I had to, you know, that's what I was re- I, like Tuesday. I was reeling back from that, and then this all this stuff happened. Like, I was re- that I I brought that I brought with I brought that with me all all day. Anyway, if if you're not in if you're not in the know, get in the know, everybody. Um, and until that, you know, peace and love. Thanks, Owen, very much for chatting. Um, and. Uh, and best of luck to everybody who's who's enjoying all the fun, uh, jubilant discussions we're having today yeah. about mass school shootings in America. Yeah, thank you, uh, thank you so much, Cameron, uh, for joining us, Cameron Kasky. Um, people can find you on Twitter at at Cameron underscore Kasky. No, right? Don't do that to them. Do you? No, don't don't even oh, don't even um, go there. Yeah, that's not that's not a real Twitter account. That's a that's that's a bot. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, That's any anything anything said on that account is not is is not the actual it's not reflective of Mr. Kasky's actual opinion. Um, all right, thank you, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna sign off. All my love to to you and yours. Talk soon. You too. All right, and uh, yeah. So for anybody uh, you know listening live or uh, in the chat on the app, uh, remember to please subscribe and follow so that you can get updated when I go live uh, with guests like Cam uh, and Aaron from from earlier this week and others. Um, thank you to Lauren, Dan, Michael, and Natan. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm if I'm not. Um, it's been a, a cathartic conversation, I think, uh, although uh, certainly a difficult one. Thanks to Cam for 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 keeping it as light as possible. Um, if you also if you're listening to this on Spotify or iTunes, please be sure to rate and follow. Um, thanks, guys. Uh, hopefully, next. Uh, next week's show will be, next week's shows will be maybe a little less bleak, but, um, that, that doesn't tend to be the case. So, all right. Uh, thanks everybody. And we will see you next time. Bye.